Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, neurosurgery, neurorehab, and psychiatry. Epilepsy affects about 3.4 million Americans, and for those of whom more than two appropriately prescribed medications fail to control their seizures, surgery is a viable option. However, data continues to show that surgery is significantly underutilized with this patient population. In this episode of Neuropathways, we're discussing the state of epilepsy surgery and its value in the care of individuals with uncontrolled epilepsy. I'm your host, Glenn Stevens, neurologist, neuro-oncologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. And joining me for today's conversation is Dr. Bill Bingaman. Dr. Bingaman is a neurosurgeon and director of the epilepsy surgery program in Cleveland Clinic's Charles Shore Epilepsy Center. Bill, welcome to Neuropathways. Thank you, Glenn. It's a pleasure to be here. So historically, epilepsy was believed to be a demonic possession, and trephination was done for religious and spiritual reasons, with evidence dating back to surgeries 3000 B.C. Besides getting the evil humors out, uh, let's start with a brief history and the evolution of epilepsy surgery to get to where we are today. Yeah, so trepanation, you know, you make a burr hole in the skull, and this was done 5,000 years ago, uh, wasn't very successful. Interestingly, there was an, there's a, was an American neurosurgeon at University of Kentucky who tried trepanation, and, and it, you know, making a burr hole didn't, didn't really work. Uh, really, the, the modern epilepsy surgery started in 1880s, 1886, uh, a guy named Sir Victor Horsley um, and uh, William McCune operated on a patient who had a traumatic brain injury, I think from a buggy, horse and buggy accident. And uh, they operate, and he had very typical semiology. Uh, they operated on, took the skull fragment out of the brain and, and cured the guy's epilepsy, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it in the 1880s. Uh, considering all the the lack of instrumentation and antisepsis and everything else. Um, And it really started from there. Most of the epilepsy surgery we do nowadays has a significant dependence on technology. And uh, whether you like neurologists or you don't like neurologists, uh, for epilepsy surgery, we need the neurologists, right? They do 90% of the work. And so EEG you know, which Forster and Altenberg uh, in Germany kind of brought around ECOG, electrocorticography. This all happened in the 20s, 30s. Penfield and Jasper started to map the brain and stimulate the brain, which is how we learn about what the brain does. And then in, in that really from the late 30s to 50s, temporal lobe surgery, which happened in your part neck of the woods up in Montreal at the Montreal Neurologic Institute. And so we owe, you know, I owe a lot to, to them. I'm old enough uh, that I, you know, when I started here, uh, Hans Luters was the, the director of the epilepsy program. He and Joe Hans started it in 1978 uh, and started putting grids in, and electrodes in people doing invasive monitoring to map seizure onsets. The trick has always been where are the seizures coming from? 
Is there a focal starting point? Where are they spreading to? And how can you safely remove that part? That's the whole trick. And uh, unfortunately for epilepsy, we just don't have that definition. We don't have a, an easy way to map the epileptogenic zone. But, but Hans is the reason uh, I'm in the, the game. He grabbed me one day and said he wanted me to do the epilepsy surgery as an opening came up. And, and here I am. I've been doing it since you know the mid-90s. We've seen a lot of changes uh, in that time. Uh, Imad Najum is now our director. Technology has come. When, when I, it's funny, I, we were talking the other day, when I graduated from medical school, uh, a powerful computer was a Mac SE with a 40 megabyte hard drive. You know, and now we've got these uh, more power in our phones. And so technology's really made a huge difference for us. So why do you think that more patients aren't referred for surgery, that we just keep pushing more and more medications? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, really, it's the question nobody can answer. But this, and this has been true my entire career. Uh, we've not seen a bump in the numbers at all. I think there's a, a, you know, there's a, a dichotomy as to who takes care of these patients. Often it's a family practice doc or a pediatrician or a general practitioner or an internist and not a neurologist. And then I think there are some neurologists who uh, are a little bit, um, you know, just may not be aware of the, uh, how, how safe epilepsy surgery is. And because the patients that we're operating on are desperate. As you know, mo- most patients, you start them on one medicine and the seizures stop and, and they're really never surgical candidates. And so I think there's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, just a, a problem with knowing, you know, who to refer, where to refer. There's, there's probably, um, certainly some regionalization of the availability of epilepsy surgery. So that if you're in the middle of the country, it, it may not be all that available up in the North, Northern, you know, you get up into the Dakotas, there aren't, aren't Montana. There's just not, it's not so available. Uh, so I think combination of factors, People like you, you know, uh, influencers in medicine uh, and the social media are what we need really to to start talking about uh, epilepsy. Epilepsy surgery is not epilepsy surgery. I'm sure there's very uh, there's a lot of variations. Uh, talk to me a little bit about some of the different types of surgical procedures that you would do or uh, other devices that you may utilize. Well, we have resective surgery, which is typically the uh, applicable for somebody who has a focal onset in an area of the brain that can be safely removed. Somebody shows up with a scar in their hippocampus um, and uh, have failed a couple of medicines. We take out the hippocampus and 65% are seizure-free long-term. Um, now, if I sold you a car and said there's a 65% chance that car is going to start when you get home, you might not try it. You know, I might not buy that car, but for these patients, they're really at a 0% chance of anything working. So, uh, you know, that's typically the resective candidate. The, and there's all types of resections from temporal lobe, extratemporal lobe, hemispherectomies, multilobe, depending on w- what it is in the brain that's causing it and, and where in the brain it is. Uh, there's a group of patients that we've seen more recently called non-lesional, meaning their MRIs are normal. We don't really have a good explanation, but they have a focal epilepsy. So we're using implantation of electrodes into the brain, using robotic assistance and stereotactic encephalography, SEG electrodes to, to sort of try to map their epilepsy. And, and, and the advantage of that electrode over the type Hans did back in the late 70s 
those electrodes in the late 70s, we'd lay on the surface of the brain, but it couldn't map seizures, measure brain activity from the hippocampus. It couldn't measure seizures from the mesial hemisphere, from the deep sulci. SEG can do that. So it's been pretty, pretty popular. Um, and it opens up the door for all those patients who have non-lesional epilepsy, where typically our results, uh, any surgical result is, is you know, 30 to 50% seizure-free. But again, these are the, the patients that have failed everything. So, so that, it's opened the door for those patients. We've seen more and more of the non-lesional, as every tertiary center has. Then we have palliative surgery. So, hey, we don't think I, we can stop your seizures, but we have the vagal nerve stimulator. We have neuromodulation, RNS, uh, the neuropace, deep brain stimulation, all of which has come in the last 10, 15 years uh, to, to, to really make it so that everyone's, if you think about it, everyone's a surgical candidate once they fail a couple of medicines. And the trick then is just to be able to tell them what their chances are to become seizure-free. Uh, because what it, people want to be seizure-free so they can drive, uh, so they can work, so they can take a bath or a shower by themselves without fear of drowning. And, and really a big one is I, I don't want to take medicine or I want to take less medicine. Uh, that's a huge uh, thing. Uh, and then finally, we, we have the laser probably is a more recent development, uh, laser ablation as, as they use in the brain really developed for the brain tumor uh, uh, patients. Uh, this, is, this has the ability to create small ablations in the brain, uh, depending on whatever the pathology is that's causing the epilepsy. So, so it's found some use uh, in epilepsy surgery as well. Um, and, and I think so. So I think we think about palliative, we think about resection, we think about ablation with all the modern tricks that, that, that are available. Yeah, I can certainly uh, talk on a personal level, and that is that we've sent a number of our brain tumor patients uh, for surgery, understanding, of course, that if they have a malignant tumor, that surgery will not cure it. And we've sent them for epilepsy-based surgeries, not tumor resective surgeries per se, because they may be different things uh, for patients that are on multiple medications. And uh, they're obviously a very carefully selected group of patients, uh, but in general, their quality of life is significantly improved by being on less medication and having fewer seizures. Yeah. It's a powerful disease. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, usually uh, kill you. It can, but it doesn't usually. And, uh, but it does really limit your independence and your ability to, you know, fit in with society, which, which is you know, important. And so it's, and the medicines uh, don't just affect the epileptic brain, they affect the entire brain, all the neurons. And so they really have quite a few side effects. People don't like it. So Bill, uh, back in the old days, we used to do a lot of WADAs on patients. Do you still do those? Or is it kind of gone by the wayside? Yeah, we do. Again, I, I only do 10% of the work. So the, the neurologist, Dr. Kodal, the people like Dr. Kodagal and Dr. Uh, Nair, Dalip Nair and Dr. Najem, they do the WADA. You know, it's, it's uh, not used as much as it is because there's a, it's an invasive test, requires an angiogram, 1% chance of stroke. Um, but it's an effective test. Uh, the, the, the functional MRI now has largely replaced it for most patients. We're also doing TMS. Dr. Nair is doing transmagnetic stimulation, identification of language. Um, the WADA has the ability to do uh, some memory testing, crude memory testing as well. Uh, the, the functional MRI, there is a memory component. We have not, we've not developed that uh, so well here. 
Um, and so, uh, if, if, if memory and language is an issue, we'll typically, we'll do a WADA, but I, I bet you we do less than 10 a year now. When I first started, everybody got one. Can you talk about the role of the MEG in surgery? Yeah, so the MEG is, it measures magnetic fields associated with the electrical activity of the brain, and they're very small, so it's a uh, well-insulated room. You wear a helmet, uh, kind of like the gamma knife helmet or a a big space helmet, and it, it measures magnetic fields, and so it's more sensitive in picking up some of the changes associated with epilepsy. It's a way of measuring the irritation in the brain in between seizures, just like interictal EG. And the nice thing about it is that you can map that pretty, pretty closely onto an MRI scan for magnetic source imaging. And just a different way of looking, I think, at, at, that, uh, uh, at that picture. We do MEG, we do SPECT, we do PET, we do EEG, um, uh, invasive elect- uh, EEG, and, and then try to put that all together. I think you've had Irene Wong on the program uh, she talks about multimodality imaging and is one of those unique individuals that knows how to bring a hundred different file formats together and display it in a useful way. Uh, and so that's helpful for us. We do that in the OR, but when you're sitting in a patient management conference, which is our large multidisciplinary group, neurologists, neurosurgeons, neuroradiologists, psychologists, psychiatrists, techs, et cetera, uh, to talk about each case, you know, there's a large amount of data. If you can show how to display that in a in a cool, interactive way, I think it really makes a difference for the patient. Yeah, and I'll just uh, say that I've had the pleasure of coming to your multidisciplinary conference on several occasions. Uh, and for those that haven't had the opportunity, it truly is very uh, interdisciplinary. Uh, everybody gets an input uh, to decide what really makes the most sense for a patient. I always think that the great news is there's a lot of epilepsy drugs out there now versus when you and I started. In some ways, the bad news is there's a lot of epilepsy drugs out there since we started. Yeah, sure. So it becomes easy for neurologists to say, well, let's try this new drug. Let's try this new drug. Let's try this new drug. And you're having patients, you know, failing 10 drugs uh, before we decide, boy, their epilepsy is really not doing well and we should refer them to surgery. So I I guess my call would be earlier evaluation. It could take 10 or 15 years probably to go through all the drugs on a a fair trial. And it reminds me last year, I saw a lady come up from Mansfield or Ashland's central Ohio, and she was in her late sixties and uh, she had hippocampal sclerosis, the most common adult epilepsy we see, our most successful patient from epilepsy surgery. She had a febrile convulsion as a baby. At 15, she started having seizures and seasoned for 50 years. And she and her husband are sitting in my clinic and they're, and you know, they we're talking about temporal lobectomy, which we typically don't do on people, you know, in their sixties occasionally, but it's rare. And I said, gosh, you've had seizures for, you know, 50 some years why now? Like, why are you here now? And she looked at me and said, well, we, I, I didn't know surgery was an option. And I said, well, how did you get here? She, I was watching the Indians game and you guys had a commercial during the Indians game that said, if you have seizures and they're not controlled by two medicines, go to a place where they do epilepsy surgery. And, and then there she was. So, I mean, that's unfortunately something that we still see, um, which, you know, and it's, it's, 
50 years of uncontrolled epilepsy can really do a number on, on you. So, Bill, we've uh, we've had a nice uh, foray through the the field of epilepsy and the and the benefits of surgery. Any closing statements that you'd like to make? We didn't really talk about the future of epilepsy surgery, and and I occasionally have to give that talk. I get invited to give those talks, and, and I'm not a fan of those talks because I you know I don't know how to predict the future uh, too well, right? I think Yogi Berra had a saying about that. And I'm afraid that the future is going to be not surgical, right? So, so we figure out what epilepsy is and how it works. We should be able to figure out the genetics behind this. And it's coming slowly. Dr. Najum uh, does a lot of uh, cool genetic stuff. And then, you know, I think the, uh, sooner or later, we're going to have the ability to manipulate the genetics in the brain and the, and the neuronal makeup. And I think that's going to going to maybe solve the problem. It's, it's not going to happen while you and I are practicing, but, but I think that's where, that's where we're going. The other exciting thing, and it's been true forever, is if, if you know, in the OR, when patients have a seizure, when we're doing an awake craniotomy, we spray the brain with cold water and that stops the seizures. So theoretically, if we had a little way, if we had a way to develop a reservoir that had ice cold water and could squirt it on the brain when the seizure started, I think the seizures would stop. You know, which, which, but the problem is it's, it, it's impossible to keep water that cold. And so the energy requirement to keep water that cold. And so, so drug delivery, uh, into the brain, um, high uh, ultrasound is coming. It's here for movement disorder. It's coming for epilepsy. It, you can disrupt the blood brain barrier, possibly drug delivery. I think all of those are exciting things that, that are going to happen in the next, you know, next few years. Yeah. I'll just add a little, uh, Point, and that is that we've actually started, we've treated now, I think, five patients with low-frequency ultrasound to disrupt the blood-brain barrier for yeah. our brain tumor patients, and we're giving them chemo, but certainly we could give any drug. Yeah, we're going to learn there. from you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ex- that's exciting stuff. Yeah. So we all hope to put you out of business, but I think in closing, we would say that if you have patients that have really failed a good effort of two medications... Uh, they should really be referred to a center that gives multidisciplinary care that includes uh, surgical options uh, uh, for patients so that we can get them evaluated sooner rather than later. I agree 100%. So, Bill, hopefully this conversation encourages others to consider surgery as an option for patients with uncontrolled seizures. I'd like to thank you for joining me today. I've known, we've known each other for 30 years. Uh, it's always great to see you. It's great to see you, Glenn. This concludes this episode of Neuropathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our ConsultQD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash neuro or follow us on Twitter at CLEClinicMD, all one word. And thank you for listening.